Hello, and welcome to Connect, Collaborate, Champion, the podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. I'm your host, Sean Creighton. In my current role as NACU president, I have the honor of working with an amazing group of independent colleges and universities. I'm a huge admirer of their approach to teaching and learning. They provide an integrated, liberal, professional, and civic education. As a result, the NACU campuses graduate extraordinary professionals for a global workforce and society. Also, their campuses are beautiful. About our podcast, we will focus on topics related to higher education. We will bring in guests that wrestle with current and future challenges. They'll include college presidents, provosts, professors, researchers, authors, disruptors, reporters, strategists, and maybe even a futurist or two. They'll help us expand our window into the world of higher ed. Thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. My guest today is Dr. Jim Hundreiser. Jim is the Vice President for Consulting and Business Development with the National Association of College and University Business Officers. He provides higher education institutions with new strategies to match ambition with aspiration. He focuses on revenue growth, capacity building, operational assessments, and much more. Over his 30-year career in higher ed, Jim has served in a variety of roles, from an institutional vice president, to consultant, to faculty member, to residence hall director. And throughout, the core of Jim's work has been focused on providing ways for students to gain access to and succeed in higher education. Jim Hundreiser, welcome to the NACU podcast. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, obviously, we've worked together in a variety of projects over the years. So, you know, it's nice to be able to talk to you in this format. And uh, hopefully all of our listeners know who uh, Nakubo is. But maybe we could start out by having you tell us a little bit about the National Association of College and University Business Officers. Sure. We support primarily the, the Vice Presidents for Finance and Administration in the areas under which uh, she or he serves. Um, that continues to grow um, because it also often includes some um, IT, campus safety and security, uh, facilities, and other operations. So we try to provide as many solutions and connect with as many business partners as we can that help institutions achieve their missions and their goals. But primarily, we're servicing um, the chief finance officer or that next couple of levels down of folks. And what do you do at Nakubo? Uh, specifically, I came to launch a consulting practice. Our members had said for a long time we needed one. And so I came to do that. And then over the course of the last 18 months, have also become more engaged with our business partners. So I support both consulting and our business development areas. So wait, did you start 18 months ago? Yeah, it was 18, maybe 19 months ago now I started. Yeah. Well, interesting. So you come in, you're launching a consulting business pre-pandemic, I guess it was. And yep. uh well, the pandemic hit, and how did things change? <laughs> well, the one thing that changed for many of us was the business model came to a screeching halt for a while there. We had launched in January, and then March 13th was the day when many institutions and associations uh, went to working remotely, and CFOs and others were busily trying to figure out how to safely protect their students, faculty, and staff, as well as come up with a business model that was 
uh, sustainable given we were entering such an unknown time. So the work really shifted more to being uh, an advocate, a resource, a helpful companion with institutions, particularly through those first four to six months of the pandemic. And now we've begun to talk more with institutions about their financial operations, how they might think about improving them, how they might think about changing them with what we've learned from the pandemic, as well as some more conversations on strategic finance, uh, strategic plans and building in financial plans within those. So uh, it's been an interesting time and we know the institutions have been working awfully hard to do everything they can to uh, achieve their missions and outcomes. One of the questions I had, and you, I think you're sort of answering it already, but maybe could elaborate a little bit more is, uh, you know, what do you think higher education learned from the pandemic that they'll retain going forward that will be of really importance to their to their futures? Well, the first thing I think we learned is that we can be much more flexible than we thought we were going to be uh, or could mm -hmm. be. Um, I think we learned that uh, the technology tools can aid in enhancing the ways in which students learn, the ways in which we teach, the ways in which we engage. I think we also learned that we are more resilient than perhaps we've given ourselves credit for in the past. Uh, once again, reinforced how many good people are trying to figure out good ways to help serve our students and helping our students to achieve their goals. I know many institutions took, I, I can't even count how many hours now if I were to collectively add them up of the 4,000 plus institutions working individually with students to try to give them relief if they needed those dollars and were eligible for them and, and help students and their families stay safe and sustained as possible during this time. So we, we were called on to do a whole lot of things. I think of stories of Wi-Fi and parking lots and uh, access to uh, resources that we didn't expect, uh, the mental health and physical health resources that students uh, were receiving from institutions, how important those were, and how I think for many of us learning that for a small population, but an important part of our population, how we needed to continue to serve, that we were the primary provider mm -hmm. of care for uh, many of our institutions. And, and on the bigger scale, I think um, we wanted to be a part of the solution. And I think some of the bigger research institutions very quickly adapted and rolled up their sleeves to focus on solutions, whether that be uh, vaccines or preventable uh, activities that could be done. Um, you know, many of the research institutions shifted practices within a matter of days, not even weeks, uh, to try to be a part of the solution to solving this this challenge that we are facing. Yeah, we, we saw a lot of collaboration. Uh, you know, obviously I work in that space and we've been, as an organization, collaborating in different ways for the last 25 years and they're Obviously, Nakubo has been doing that as well in terms of sharing best practices and all kinds of professional development and other research projects that help enlighten one another. But it seems, uh, I mean, I, the word unprecedented is overused and mm -hmm. has been in, in the last year or so, but that collaboration is, is reaching, I don't know, a, a new stage of its development. Absolutely. No, no question about it. And I hope that as we look towards the future, that we really do think much more about how can we be collaborative uh, partners with each other. I don't know of anybody who wants to see an institution close or, you know, you know we, we, we want to figure out how can we maintain and grow our enrollments or maintain the quality of our programs. 
And in order to do that, we are likely going to have to partner more, not less, uh, to be able to provide the services, the resources, the laboratory equipment, the technology infrastructure uh, that we need to provide students with that robust learning experience. I want to go back to something you said earlier. When the news of that pandemic first hit, you know, that quick shift to um, going remote that every campus had to do. Do you think that's something that that will be retained moving forward, uh, a more of an openness to remote work or policies and practices that create that kind of opportunity uh, for campuses? You know, I, I have the privilege of talking with a lot of campuses and a lot of diversity of campuses. I would say the larger institutions with larger workforces are absolutely considering ways to create and build a more flexible schedule. I think some are even reconsidering facilities infrastructure and do they need to have, if, if we can move to a truly more flexible model where you, Sean, were in on Mondays and Wednesdays and I was in on Tuesdays and Thursdays, could we then share a space and not have to have our own space on campus that consumes time and you know, space and resources that need to be updated and enhanced? But some of the smaller schools believe that that personal individualized attention needs to be face-to-face. And so I think what I'm hearing from more of the smaller institutions is that they are leaning back into uh, more face-to-face practices that they plan to implement for the fall semester. I think there will be some flexibilities in some of the, what many of us call, you know, the back office operations, those that are not student-facing. You know, I think the question that I'm hearing from the smaller schools is ex-employee wants to work from home two days a week or three days a week, and she can because she rarely sees a student or never sees a student. And is that fair then that an employee who is a very student-facing, you know, employee that they need to come and to campus five days a week? So, you know, I think it's a tough question. I, what I'm learning or what I'm hearing is students are appreciating the video calling, the ability to call at any time, that they can walk into the financial aid office and they're not physically walking in anymore to a financial aid office, so that happens virtually. I would suspect that those types of activities are gonna continue to grow. I would suspect that we can hire employees who have the skill sets and can probably do that from anywhere and not necessarily be confined to the regional location that somebody is at. Yeah, it's interesting to hear all that. I I would say that we're hearing similar things, just to the question about space utilization, which you know has been explored by directors of facilities for years, but now more than ever, the question around, does everybody need an office, especially if it's not used you know, but a couple of days a week? Or how do we kind of find the buildings within the buildings and as a result, reduce the need for, for new capital expenditures, which hopefully, more institutions will be calling you for. Yeah, yeah. well, and I, I think that board members and trustees, uh, particularly those who are still working and operating or connected to larger uh, companies, I think they're going to help shift uh, presidents and other senior leaders thinking on moving to a more flexible model. I think mm-hmm. they're seeing the advantages to this. There are many organizations that are talking about Uh, productivity measures being slightly higher than they were before, and more employees are talking about being less stressed without having the commute. So, well, you know, if you can remove the pandemic stressors, Mm -hmm. there are people who are saying, you know, I am saving 
$400 a month in after-school care because I had the flexibility to go, you know, get my two kids and bring them back home. And I can do that in 15 or 18 minutes, or I don't have to worry about the stress of the 45 minute commute each way. And I can get up in the morning and get right to work. So I, I think as we're hearing more employees move into a, a, a less restrictive world that they're living in, I think there are opportunities for us to learn from how businesses are adapting to this and providing that flexibility. And the reality is most of our students have been looking for more flexibility all along. So mm -hmm. while there certainly is a place for the face-based uh, residential experience and the college, and of course, I think both you and I, Sean, are, are strong products of that incredible experience. Right. The data also says to us, you know, fewer of those students are coming and there are opportunities for us to more flexibly serve students as they seek internships, apprenticeships, um, mm -hmm. study abroad experiences, other things that have been hard for some of them to navigate in a world where infrastructure was not set up to be as flexible or as accessible. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, those days are gone. And if we don't take that out of the pandemic, we've really, really missed some huge opportunities. But so I, I hope that that for certain will change. So you've served in the role, a leadership role for several institutions uh, in the past and both private and public institutions. And I wondered, uh, you know, do you miss being on campus or are you so thankful to be in an advisory role, especially? <laughs> there are moments I miss it terribly. You know, the community that happens, the engagement with students is so incredible. Watching students uh, reach and accomplish their goals is, you know, there's nothing like it. And so yeah. while I hope that my work is helping support many institutions to help those students accomplish their goals, uh, yes, there are days where I'm I'm eager to get back to a campus. And then when I listen to some of the stories of this last year, I think if there was ever a perfect time to have stepped away from a campus, this I sure got lucky. Uh, when I talk to the faculty and staff on campuses, this has been an extraordinary year of change and an extraordinary year of stress. We had Nathan Graw on the podcast recently mm -hmm. and focused on his new book, The Agile College. I've got it. It's sitting on my desk as we speak. And uh, there's, uh, you know, all kinds of strategies to address the, you know, the demographic changes that are taking place. And going back to the topic of collaboration, there's this quote in there's line that he said, you know, if we overlook collaborative opportunities to address challenges, it's at our collective and individual peril. It seems to me that collaboration in some respects is still in its infancy, but I wondered if you were seeing a new set of collaboration taking place that would contribute more towards long-term sustainability. I would say it's still at the fringes. Mm -hmm. There, there seems to be some appetite for it, but it is, we are struggling on this topic and I, I am a big fan of uh, Nathan's and have been followed his work from the first post that got out there. And I think he's absolutely right that we need to be doing this. And, you know, in private, people will say, oh, yeah, we, we need to do more of it. And I'll say, how can Nakubo help you with that? How can we support you in that effort? And people get stuck and lost pretty quickly. Um, you know, there's a, a realization that maybe through procurement, maybe through IT services, maybe through help desk concepts, maybe uh, even through um, 
you know, some of the mental and physical health, if we, we do telemed or video uh, medicine or counseling, that there could be some collaborations. But people are pretty skittish to doing it. That You know, there's still, I think for some of those pieces, it's about control. You know, that if you are going to share your IT services, when something goes wrong, who's going to fix it? And so letting go of that control seems to be a challenge there. Um, you know, there are certainly a few models that have popped up uh, that have worked. Uh, the schools in California that have formed their consortium seem to be doing some good work. But by and large, I would say we are still, you know, 4,000-ish institutions operating fairly, if not almost completely independently. And we probably should be 4,000 institutions sharing six main platforms and services. And, you know, I, some would argue that you know, I've just wiped out all kinds of competition and services and, uh, and things that have that improve because of competition and that pricing might come down because of that or other, you know, how do you avoid a monopoly? But even if we were to look at our state school systems, how many of them are truly not a system? That there are a few places where they interact and they're engaged, but they're not really operating in a systemic format. I think New Hampshire is a state where they're talking about it. I think there are Connecticut in the community college system is talking about it. Certainly the Pennsylvania schools or the Pashi schools, Dan is making the news almost every week, it seems like, trying to talk about how to consolidate institutions and also continue to serve students. But we're pretty stuck here. And I do think that while we say at individual peril and people say, oh, it's not going to be me, I'm, wor I'm worried. I'm, I'm concerned that we are not going to act on this fast enough when we are watching numerous industries merging and collaborating in ways that are, you know, probably the other side of the pendulum, maybe a little bit too far. So how then can we find that good middle ground for shared services right. and shared operating constructs? And for those of you who are lucky enough to be connected with an institution in a proximity, could you start thinking about, you know, school A has these seven strong academic programs. School B has these seven other strong academic mm -hmm. programs. And, and they're in different areas, maybe one's in the humanities and the liberal arts and one's in the sciences. So rather than trying to have school A bring all the health science programs in, might you collaborate in a way that, and you're close enough from a proximity perspective that you could even continue to do much of your face-to-face -face learning as, as an example. Now that for some would be way too far, uh, but uh, certainly knowing how many things we did online you know, a bill is a bill is a bill. Registration is registration is registration. Financial aid processing is financial aid processing. Procurement for so many things is all the same. I mean, there are so many things that are very much the same, even though we say they're different. Right. And then just duplicated over and over and over again. Correct. Yeah. It almost seems like there's this spectrum where merger is on the far end, like the place you don't necessarily want to get to or closure, obviously, is the place you don't want to get to, that shared services would be on the pathway to finding some solutions. But what we're reading more is instead of these unique shared service, innovative collaborations between institutions happening, we're hearing just more about mergers. Yes. And closures. 
yes. versus that step before you think yes. it would be yes. before. Yes. Uh, because it's too late. You know, I think when institutions say, all right, well, now we'll do it, it's too late. And certainly mm -hmm. we know of, you know, a few, but, you know, a few meaning like a hundred that are financially so, so close that partnering institution is saying, why would I want to partner with you? The risk seems higher than the potential long-term reward. So how, what, why would we do that? And where I think the biggest flaw that I'm seeing today is, data point after data point after data point says we cannot raise our tuition room and board rates. And some would argue anymore, but we mm -hmm. certainly cannot raise them past one or 2% a year. Mm -hmm. um, and the cost to deliver this is not going to maintain at a one to 2% increase in cost. So therefore you've got to start doing this. And then the demographic changes. So, I mean, even if we right. took students out of the mix, I mean, the, the student, you know, the demographic changes of the students changing, mm -hmm. even if we said, okay, well, we're going to continue to have a steady flow and there is going to be more high school graduates, which is true. And, you know, more are going to understand the value of the college costs. Like, let's say all that was true. We still can't control the cost to provide the type of education we provide mm -hmm. at a one, zero to one to 2% rate. We, we can't do it. So, if that's the case, then how are we going to make that happen? That's where the shared concepts need to come together. I guess, is there anything you want to talk about? <laughs> you know, I, I, I hope that people, that everyone gets a vacation this summer, which mm -hmm. might sound like the craziest thing, but I, I, I'm well aware of people who have basically said they've taken four or five days off and then they wound up working half of those days, but they were in a different location with their family. So I do hope from a mental health perspective, everybody finds a way to really physically unplug from our very technically connected world. I, I think from a brain perspective, we know the research that says everybody needs a break. Two, I hope that we do, once we take a breath, we see most, if not all, of our students coming back face-to-face, -face, that next year truly is a year of rethinking. So even if you brought everyone back to campus and said, nope, everybody comes back, we don't just fall back into that and we say, is this the most effective? How can we be more effective? How can we do this in more effective ways? We've learned so much this year. How do we build on that in ways, even if we return to as close to normal as it used to be, that we don't, uh, we keep adding more forms and services and ways to engage and interact online mm -hmm. to streamline every process we can for students. Those seem like two great notes. And they, it's almost like we've come full circle because in the beginning I was asking about, you know, what have we learned that we will retain? So that was, you know, the, the second challenge that you put out there. But the first one about taking a vacation, I hope everyone heard that. I hope it's already on their calendar and, yeah. uh, and, that, and that they do unplug once they get that opportunity because it has certainly been the most stressful time in the lives of everyone. So, Jim, are, do you have a vacation planned? I don't. Isn't that oh. <laughs> Come on. I'm saying it, and I don't have a vacation myself plan, but I'm going to plan. This This will motivate me, Sean, to do it. Okay, next time I talk to you, yes. I want to hear about your vacation yes. and how amazing yes. it was. You know, thanks again for being our guest today, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. 
Thank you, Sean. And I, I'm so appreciative of all the good work that you're doing and the NACUA team is doing and, and the NACUA institutions. They serve, you know, they do important, valuable work uh, for not only their students, but for our society. So I'm, I'm so grateful of the connections that you create. Thanks for being here for Connect, Collaborate, Champion, a podcast of the New American Colleges and Universities. This podcast is made possible thanks to our partner, public radio station 91.3 WYSO in Yale Springs, Ohio. Thank you, YSO. The New American Colleges and Universities connects our campuses to collaborate in the delivery of innovative ideas and to champion the belief that a comprehensive, liberal, professional, and civic education is essential to the future of our world. To learn more about our amazing campuses, visit nacu.edu n-a-c-u dot e-d-u See you soon!